Welcome to episode 348 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. Is it just me, or does the beginning of September feel like the start of the new year for you too? I'm sure it being the beginning of a school year influences this, but the Jewish New Year and my birthday also happen to be in September. It always feels like the fall months pass quickly as we jump from one holiday to another until it's suddenly New Year's Eve. Are you clear on what you'll be focusing on in your personal and work life between now and then? There's just over 100 days until the end of the year, including weekends and holidays. One of my projects this fall is to host the next cohort of the 5% Advantage program. This four-week program will help you become more competent and competent using Zoom, no matter what level you're at now. For those ready to become certified virtual event professionals, hashtag NorbadZoom, there's a certification option. If you're looking for the opportunity to practice and get personalized feedback about how you use Zoom, well, that's a different option. And if you just want access to the materials and have conversations with our community, there's an option to audit the program. If you just want free content about Zoom to help you in your journey becoming a better virtual presenter or Zoom producer, that's also something I'm offering. Let me know you're interested in this content by signing up for the interest list for this course at robbysamuels.com forward slash maven. That's robbysamuels.com forward slash maven. I'll be hosting this program through maven.com, which means it'll be a live cohort with several Zoom sessions over the month. And you'll also have access to asynchronous learning through a library of content I've created. Sign up for the interest list again at robbysamuels.com forward slash maven. Next, a word from our sponsor, and then we'll dive into this week's interview. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Today's guest wants to inspire exceptional leaders and change the world for good. He's an executive coach, coaching supervisor, professional speaker, and author who inspires leaders through the neuroscience of human interaction in the workplace. With 30 years of professional experience in HR, executive coaching, and leadership development, he's held leadership positions at Commonwealth Aluminum, Commonwealth Industries, Clarecore, Air Filtration Products, Humana, and CoachSource. He's a frequent speaker at business, coaching, and human resource conferences all across the U.S. On a personal note, I have the privilege of spending time with him at the National Speakers Association Conference each year, where we co-host the NSA Rainbow Speakers Community Group. Please Jomaine welcoming Jeff Nally. Welcome, Jeff. Hey, Robbie. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. So thanks for joining us from your place in Florida. Thrilled to have you here. And as you know, this is a a show that's about building strong networks. And the context is leadership. So tell me, how do you define leadership? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Sure. So 
Um, the, de the definition of leadership that I've had has changed over the years. And right now it is really about influencing and engaging others to co-create a shared future. I really used to think it was, as most people, all about like how many people are in your org chart, what kind of budget you control, the things you think you own. And the more that we learn about leaders and how the brain works with leaders and their teams in the workplace, it really is about influence, engaging, and moving forward together. I love the co-creation piece of that vision in particular. Yeah, as leaders, we can't really like do anything on our own. We have less control and authority than we really think. We get things done through others, mostly, not through ourselves. I realized that I had these skills or the glimmer of those in a couple of occasions. The first was my very first job uh, when I was 17 at Baskin Robbins in the local shopping mall. I loved Baskin Robbins because it was everybody was happy when they came to buy ice cream, and that's the place I wanted to work. When are customers going to be happy? And who wouldn't love to work around 31 different flavors of ice cream that you can taste test and make uh, a cone or a shake anytime you like? But it wasn't until I was working the second shift, closing the store by myself with a night crew and the owner wasn't there that I realized this is what leadership feels like. We're doing something together and I'm going to make something happen. And the other people who have authority and control are not actually here. I'm the one driving it. You give me flashbacks. I have to tell you, Jeff, you give me such flashbacks because I ended up in between jobs, waiting tables, spent a couple of years uh, working as a shift manager at a Taco Bell. They, they elevated me to shift manager on my third day. And I ended up closing every Friday and Saturday. And we did more cleaning and restructuring of the supplies on the busiest days of the week than the shift manager did the other days but my team liked me. They were friends with him, but they didn't like him. They, they thought he was, he was smoking pot in the bathroom. You know what I mean? He was, he was not actually helping them at all. Helping. Yeah. So very interesting. You're right. Like to be at a younger age and like stepping up in that way and having the keys and needing to lock up at night. Yeah. Total flashback. What was the second uh, op opportunity for you to have leadership? The second one was, was when I was leading HR in an aluminum company, and I had worked at the largest plant and been promoted to headquarters, corporate headquarters. Um, and one day the CHRO came to me. I had just been at the corporate headquarters about two weeks. And she sat me down and she said, do you remember those plants we bought in California about a year ago? Yeah, I did. And do you remember the uh, HR person who had come to our um, annual HR leadership meeting Yes, I do remember that person. Well, they did not implement anything. Employees are getting hurt. Workers' compensation is through the works roof. Safety is down. There's no employee engagement. We need you to go out there and lead HR. And when I actually left corporate and went out there for a year to lead the California plants, I realized that was leadership. My HR expertise was like table stakes. It was really about making workplaces safer, getting to know all the people in the workplace, turning it around from a place where people didn't trust supervisors or managers into building trust between everybody there. And I think that was when I realized, ah, this is not just functional leadership. This is people leadership. Yeah. I and mean, they, you know, human resources has had an evolution over the last couple of decades around even what they're called, right? Because we have that recognition about people 
being at the at the forefront of it, the, the, the power of the people in an organization. But I want to wind the clock back a little bit. I'm glad you got us to 17, but I want to go even younger. I want to know, Jeff, what you were like on the playground, grade school, organizing your friends. Are you sitting back? You know, did you get active in lots of clubs and associations during school? Did you run for any kind of office? What were you like as a kid? So on the playground and in school, I was, let's do things together. I led in relationship with others. So on the playground, it's, we're all going to play on the swings. In school and college, it was, I want to belong to associations and groups where we do things together. So I was a member of the acapella chorale. Uh, I was a social chairman for my local independent fraternity in college. So I was always about gathering people together, connecting people, and I was not going to lead by myself or alone, and nothing was going to be just my ideas. Oh, I had plenty of ideas, but I wanted to, to carry them out with others around me. Yeah. You know, um, you and I are so cut from the same cloth. I'm not surprised to hear this because of the way you and I co-host when we're together at conferences and bringing together the LGBT community at the Rainbow Speakers Group through the National Speakers Association and that idea of, you know, more the merrier, let's include more people, you know, we'll get to that part again later. But I I just think the fact that you've always been you, I just wanted to sort of acknowledge that like the way I see you today and to hear this story of how you were, you know, as a young person and into college and that idea of the fact that you were a social chair, you know, that you were in charge of not just a good time, but a good experience, right? People being brought together. so at 12 years old, did you have a sense of what you were going to be? Was there a path in front of you by family or by, by fact? I knew I wanted to do something that interacted with people. Of course, at 12, I wasn't that keen. I didn't know about HR necessarily. I do remember a turning point, though. I graduated from college with an undergraduate degree in psychology from a liberal arts college, which was great, a great experience, perfect for me. And at my graduation party that my parents held, my uh, a really a real... A close family friend who was a a leader in industry and a a CEO of manufacturing sat me down and said, so what are you going to do with your degree? And I said, well, all my colleagues went into theology and ministry with their psych degrees. I I think I want to do something in this new profession that's called human resources. And he looked at me and he said, that's personnel. That's a profession for women and secretaries. You don't want to do that. Immediately, this rage come up inside of me because I'm like, I don't know much about that field yet, but that is not true. And that's not what I'm going to do, right? And I think that was the first glimmer of, I want to lead people and be in a people profession. And it quickly turned into training and development, leadership development, HR, and all the people-related aspects inside organizations that I not only fell in love with, but I became really, really good at. Mm-hmm. What led you into that degree initially? Initially it was, so you're going to love this. I thought I wanted to do experimental psych. I wanted, and this has nothing to do with probes in people's brains. I wanted to go into psychology to do market research and survey research that organizations and companies could use to help with their marketing and their brands. And I actually did a little bit of that in uh, graduate school. But I, I turned all of that toward, I, I want to know and understand primary research, especially how the brain works. 
so that I can apply those findings inside the workplace so we can be better as we work together. It's really neat to see how your passion for neuroscience and how it helps us be better in the workplace kind of has a through line, even back to your decision on what what degree you wanted to be part of. And you didn't, you didn't even necessarily know what was possible in the field. The field evolved a lot and changed since then new opportunities were going to constantly arise, but you, you already had that, like, I don't know how people think. Now I will tell you my corollary story here. I live near a mall in the middle of suburbia and I would sit and I'd stand outside of like the JC Penney and I would see, depending on where the benches were and the potted plants were determined, like our, our nature is to go right out of a store and to not go across. But sometimes they would shift things so that more people would go across. And that was when Macy's was having a sale. And so, like, we are just lemmings. You know, we're just moving through life. So I focused more on sociology. I had started with a political science degree, ended up getting both. But I love seeing how groups and communities kind of work together. And so an organization. So you and I are coming out this like slightly different, but there's a way in which we're both just trying to figure out what makes people do better. <laughs> exactly. And, and now I have to tell you this short story. So before I actually decided to apply at Baskin Robbins, I went to the local mall and I sat on the benches and it, I didn't watch the plants. <laughs> <laughs> I watched the people working and the, the, the faces of customers as they came in or out. Wow. Who's having a good time at work? Are people happy when they come in or leave as customers? What are people doing when they work together inside that store? A lot of the clothing stores, everybody was walking around individually, holding clothes, doing things by themselves. And I was like, that's not for me. But when I sat outside the Baskin Robbins and I watched people come and go and I watched the people behind the counter working together, I'm like, I know it's going to mean that I have to wear a shirt that is orange, pink, and purple stripes, and I'm going to be covered in hot fudge all day. That's the place I want to work. <laughs> I love this. I I worked at a Friendlies, and I started. Really? Yeah, it was my first job in college. I started at a Friendlies in the kitchen because I was afraid of waiting tables. I'd never done it, and I so I didn't even ask for that role. I don't know why I thought the kitchen would be easier. Talk about coordinating and. There's grease and I'm really good at that. And then I taught myself how to all the ice cream pieces because they would get busy and I would just start jumping in. So I self-taught all of that. I never officially had a shift, but I did it all the time. And then I eventually waited tables there and then moved on trying eventually to look for places that had better tips. But, um, but the, I, I also have hired a lot of people over time for events and anyone who has an experience in a restaurant, even, even the person who's seating you like the hostess, um, or, or, or I asked, one of my best interns was a dance choreographer in college. They understand organized chaos. Mm -hmm. And it's what you're describing. Like you don't have people just wandering around the store folding clothes. You got to work as a team. And I love that you already were thinking about what kind of place you wanted to be working in. And you had your criteria, which had nothing to do with the attire. <laughs> you got past the attire. I got past that. Up to here it's with ice cream, right? Like right. You're scooping in those deep holes. Right. My elbows every day, every day, every day. Um, I'm still sticky thinking about it. So, uh, so you, so you graduate, you get into this kerfuffle about personnel is for women. 
you're like, no, 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 I'm committed. Now, one thing I'm wondering is, are you are you out to yourself or others at that point? Is that part of the, the factor yeah. of how you're thinking about your life? Yes, I came out officially when I was uh, 19, but I have been out to close family and friends for longer than that. So uh, yes, being who, who I am and where I am, uh, it's just, it's natural whether people want it or not. And so <laughs> I really, I really didn't have to come out. I did, I did have to come out, uh, as most of you, as you, and most of probably your listeners know, every time I changed jobs or changed companies or went to a different location, you do come out again, right? People need to get to know you regardless of your sexual orientation or your sexuality. But that's a piece that was, you know, really different from most of the places I worked because I worked in heavy industrial manufacturing, healthcare insurance, and finance. I mean, these are areas where, uh, you know, at the time that I was working, th- there weren't a lot of out people, especially at the levels that I worked and led and in the spaces that I worked with executives. Yeah, I mean, that's really forefront in a lot of ways. It was, it was, and it wasn't as scary for me. It just, over time, it became one of those, this is what I'm going to have to do, and I'm going to have to kind of come out at every place uh, that I go to. And at some places it'll be easy or natural and other places it might take a while or be different, but I never really hid who I was. And, um, I think that comes through when you meet people, what, how authentic are they? How vulnerable are they in their conversations? Are they willing to let you in to get to know you? And are you willing to let them in so that you can know them? When you're going for that first role out of college, um, how did you find it? You know, you didn't have network connections at that point, right? In in companies and in HR, you said it was sort of a nascent. Uh, you know, it was just getting started in that in that particular form. How did you find your way in, and and what level did you have to start? Right, the the first levels were really in not for profits. Ironically, the first was um, being the executive director of an AIDS uh, organization. Sorry, is that your first job? This is my first job out of grad school. Your first job out of grad school because you went and got your MBA. Did you go? Did you go right from undergrad to grad? No, no. I, I actually worked um, uh, between those places. One in a hospital. I worked in the front office of a lab to get to know how healthcare worked, uh, and because I wanted to work second shift. And I also worked at. All right, wait for it. A cruise dining ship on the Ohio River, like the ones you see outside of Chicago or on Lake Michigan. And I was the reservations manager. So I was in charge of everybody coming on board and who's on and did they pay and how do we prep for them to have a good time. And then the ship went off on its cruise while I stayed on the barge and got ready for the next event. It was like event planning three times a day. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It does sound like on steroids in a lot of ways. Why, what led you to decide to get the MBA? Did you feel like it was necessary for the roles you wanted? I felt like I had enough experience knowing what end users and customers and the public wanted from uh, their hospital and their lab and their evening cruise and even their ice cream before they you know, went to the movies. Uh, but I really wanted to understand the basics of how business work. And in that generation and at that time, there were not a lot of HR programs. There were not many masters of HR programs or graduate programs unless they were in research. And so um, I went to get an MBA because I want to understand what are the basics of business and how do I understand how uh, the basics of the entire organization, not just the pieces I had had experience in. So that was a big, that was a big step. And it was a really good move at the time 
now there are a lot more options. There's certificates and badges and so many different ways to learn about what you need to learn so that you can do the job or be in the career you want. But at that time, the MBA really served me well. So I'm, I'm sort of interested to hear how you felt prepared to be an executive director of a nonprofit just out of school. Like, where did that opportunity come from? Did someone bring it to your attention? Did, were you well, seeking out that kind of experience? I think it was, you know, it's so funny because sometimes uh, the universe or the uh, centrifugal forces out there, you know, pull you in certain directions. Um, I, had done, I had gone to graduate school in Atlanta. I had a job lined up um, at a major telephone and telecommunications company in marketing research. I was ready to do all that. My father had a stroke during my graduation uh, from grad school in Atlanta and took several weeks to recover. He got well enough to move home to Louisville, Kentucky. And I decided, you know, I think this is a real opportunity to, to go back home and to be with him as he recovers. And the moment I went back to my hometown, um, the AIDS organization was looking for their very first paid executive director, someone to lead all the people who ran the homeless shelters and would do fundraising and be with the donors, right? Uh, and work with government agencies and the Centers for Disease Control, all these entities that were necessary to make running homeless shelters and getting uh, early trial medical care to homeless uh, men and women in the Louisville area a priority. And it was just a great fit. They were looking for somebody like me, the grad school, the undergrad in psych, the jobs I had before, my knowledge of the whole community, uh, made a big difference. And that was my very first foray into leading people inside an organization for pay. I'm curious how you felt about the fundraising aspect of that. I loved it. It was great. I loved all aspects of it. We had great staff who ran the homeless shelters, so they knew what they were doing. But uh, we were fundraising and building a second homeless shelter at the same time that I came on. Um, and uh, as someone who is the expert in schmooze yourself, uh, the whole you only you only did fundraising and connected with people who were keenly interested in finding out why HIV and AIDS was exploding and what we can do about it. it they were people who were already passionate about the the concern and what was happening to human beings in the community. So you didn't have to sell. You just connected with people who were passionate about solving the same problem that you were trying to solve. What year is this? So this is uh, 1991 uh, and 92. Yeah. Awesome. I mean, I just want to place it because we're, we're, we're out of the 80s into the early 90s. It's now an ongoing epidemic, but we have treatment options. We have funding. We have organizations that have sprung up. Those organizations went from grassroots to now becoming more established. We need people like you to step into leadership. Um, I was asking about the fundraising aspect because I have done fundraising as a job and I've taught fundraising. And I feel like when I first shifted into entrepreneurship, I thought I didn't know a lot about sales because I hadn't worked in any kind of sales role. And then I come to realize, oh, I've, I've taught people out of money for just a thank you. That's <laughs> like, right. That's all they got in response. I'm like, oh, I know a lot about this building relationships, having this conversation, offering value. It was like, it was like a flip. So for you to come in and have that experience, like you said, these are people who felt passionate. You felt like you were building relationships with them. It's such a healthy way to kind of come into the world of fundraising, which later then can help you build a foundation for sales, um, where not a lot of roles might have that opportunity if you're just like 
you know, if you're managing events without having to handle donors or customers, you won't know more than the logistics. So it's an interesting opportunity to be in charge of everything. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. What happens next? Like you, you go through many corporate jobs, but I know you as an independent printer, uh, entrepreneur, you've got your own company, doing all this great work as a speaker and a coach. How, how did you decide to leave? I mean, you kind of moved through different companies. Some of them names even I recognize. Uh, what leads you to step away from what has been sort of a career path to this, this new path around entrepreneurship? Sure. After the nonprofit, I went into lead training and development and then learned other aspects of HR and then led leadership development and organization development. And then I uh, went to create an executive coaching practice at uh, Fortune 50 a healthcare company, which I loved in my hometown. Loved that work. I did that for almost 10 years. I created the executive coaching practice. I learned how to measure it. This was at a time when measuring the impact of executive coaching was still very vague and uncertain, became a certified credentialed coach myself, coached internally, brought in external coaches, hired coaches, and loved it. But after almost 10 years, I realized I have only done this inside this one awesome company with over 50,000 employees, but it's the only system, the only context I've spoken about the neuroscience of leadership and trained leaders in it, and then coached or led coaching. And I thought, I want to do two things. I want to get out there and speak to audiences, HR professionals and leaders inside companies about how, you used, how to use the science of human interaction to be a better leader. And I want to coach executives at other companies besides this one. <laughs> and so it was a pretty easy decision. Uh, and so it, it was easy to start it on my own because those are the two passions I had. And thankfully, that's what um, those are the two things that clients decided to start paying me for. And uh, I loved it and still love it to this day. When was the shift? What year did you? That was 2015. Oh, so about eight years ago. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, that's, that's the year that I officially, that's why you and I went to our first National Speaker Association that's that right. year conference. Um, I left my day job at the end of 2014 and like my, my sort of fledgling side hustle was getting, become more and more a big part of my life. Um, so I'm, I'm curious whether you had any entrepreneurs around you like who was part of your network? I mean, you knew coaches, you were doing training. Did you know of other professional speakers at that time? You know, when, how did you sort of psychologically make this shift in identity, but also how did you have the network that might introduce you to all these different aspects? Like how do you even discover NSA as a thing right. um, to, to join? So no surprise to your listeners based on what they've heard so far, but as I became part of the HR profession early on, I joined the Society for Human Resource Manage Management, the Global HR Professional Association. So I got connected with uh, other, other HR pros at the local, state, and national level. I volunteered, no surprise. I helped do fundraising for the Sherm Foundation, um, just finishing two terms on the Sherm Foundation right now, Fa Sherm Foundation Board of Directors. Uh, so I have, I have networks since 1993 of HR folks, which includes leadership development and coaching and training, but mostly HR. Uh, when I started the executive coaching practice and became a coach myself, surprise, surprise, I joined the International Coach Federation, <laughs> a global coaching profession uh, that has credentials. And I volunteered at the local, <laughs> state, and national levels in the association to learn about the profession and connect with people. Uh, the week after I left my corporate job, one of my dear friends, whom you know, Kathy Fiock, who is a professional speaker 
and an HR pro. She and I volunteered at a lot of these professional associations together. Uh, we were at a board meeting that we both volunteered on uh, just as I left corporate. And she um, said, all right, so now that you're out of corporate and you're going to start your own business to speak and to be a coach on your own, I want you to pull your BlackBerry. Yes, BlackBerry. And she said, I want you to look up National Speakers Association Influence Conference in your browser. Click on register for the conference. It's going to happen in a few weeks. You will not be paying the early bird rate. Don't even look at the registration rate. Register right now and pay by credit card. This is the best decision you'll ever make. So she pulled me into the speaker community that I did not really know at all in that one move. And by the time I went to Influence, which you were there, this was the name of their conference, and spent four and a half days, I shaved two years off of networking, knowledge building, skill building, and crafting what I wanted my professional speaking practice to be about and how I was going to start to run the business. So I really owe everything to the people in the communities and networks that I've connected with. Some, some I've done the outreach and connected. Others, they've been like Kathy, who literally grabbed me by the arm that day and said, pull out your BlackBerry and pay for this conference right now. Don't even think about it. I love it. She's actually someone that uh, became part of my story. I, for my very first conference, I didn't know anyone. There was a foundation dinner. There was this big affair that was going on. I got myself a ticket and I went to the tables in the front of the room that were all big deal people. And I looked for and found an empty seat. And I had a conversation with some board members sitting there. And the board member sitting next to me, whose name I don't remember, said, great. What's your book called? And I was like, I don't, I don't have a, and I, I, I don't have a, um, I don't have a bu um, book. And he said, come here. And he picked me up and walked me across three tables over to Kathy Fayok, oh who I God. chatted with for like 60, 90 seconds. She hands me the, ask me about my book button. By the end of the three days, four days later, I had discussed the concept of my book <laughs> with numerous people. And a year later I walked in with a podcast having just launched and a year after that, my first book with quotes from people that I interviewed in my podcast. I don't know if I would have been set on that path as quickly as that, but like you said, it shaved time off. I could have waited 10 years to work on that first book, but right. it was put in front of me as a challenge. And I was like, I will accept this challenge. And I, I didn't hide the button when I walked away from her, I put it on. <laughs> Yeah. Isn't it interesting? And I know you know this because you're a networking pro, but there are there are, are hubs of networks. There are people who are not just influencers in the social media sense, but they are connected across networks, across professions, across disciplines. And um, you know, what they really are is not just an expert who kind of does a lot and might know somebody like on the board that you sit next to to introduce you, but folks like Kathy are um will be what um has been called the their their positive energy influencers they literally give and receive all the positive reinforcement that our brains need to connect trust empathize and relate to someone but they're not just a vacuum they don't just take they actually give um i i think you know instead of engagement surveys and networking surveys i think companies should be doing energizer surveys who are the key people in the organization 
that when anybody's around them, they just give energy and positive uh, intelligence and positive social and emotional intelligence to whoever's around them. So they're enabled to go off and do things in less than two years that it would have taken them, or they know so much more. It's just amazing how those hubs or positive energy people are uh, catalysts and flywheels for so much more to happen and for so many people to become what they really want to become, even though they thought it might take them two or three times as long to do that. I think when you're thinking about networking your way into a new field or you're trying something out, looking for those people. And by the way, when you said positive influence energizers, I oh, I already just said it in my head. I want to reframe it to pie because they're building a bigger pie, which is another motto they of NSA. Is, is, it's is abundance. Yeah, it's like there's them. no limit. There's no yeah. scarcity anywhere. Like that, that to me is a big uh, piece of how I try to operate in the world um, uh, is just thinking really abundantly about giving me knowledge. It doesn't deplete me. Right. And it's like, if I figure out how to do something, I want to share it. Then that's who you are. Kathy, who I've had a chance to get to know and interview, we'll put a link to some information about her in the show notes. Cause clearly there's a lot of reasons you'd want to get to know her. We could go on and on. So, um, I mean, you've developed over the last, I mean, we've now done nine, this, we just did our ninth conference together, um, which is really cool. I said in 2015, I'd go 10 years in a row and then decide whether it was worth it. But it was really about committing to it. So now I host a monthly uh, virtual networking event called Mic Swap, which I knew so little about beforehand that I was looking for the invitation in my inbox. I thought it was called Mic Drop. <laughs> I couldn't, I was like, why can't I find this link? I've been now hosting it for a year and a half. I now know the name of it. Um, and then I got a chance to sort of take on the Rainbow Speakers group. And you fortunately came into the path with me because um, I was just saying to Amy Clymer, another great person who I've interviewed and who we know through NSA, what a gift it is to have leaders in the group. And I don't just mean that people who have formally taken on a role because she's another person that I know if I ask her, can you help out in a certain way? She's 100% going to do it without any question, without any without even having to be asked a second time. And um, you and I sort of trading uh, responsibilities, hosting different pieces of it. I remember having to do all this by myself. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard because a lot of people are just followers who want somebody else to organize something. And I'm happy to do it, but what a gift it is to have someone else who gets the vision. And that's what you're talking about, the co-creation where you want other people to come with you, but we can inspire them to take some 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 role in it themselves. I think that's even better. So it's been really powerful. What's been uh, what's been sort of the most surprising piece of the evolution of your business since 2015? Because I mean, you had a sense of what you would be doing. How has that sense shifted, and where you are today? So that's a, that's a great question. So about two years after I started my own firm, I looked back at some of the consulting, speaking, and coaching work that I had been doing and got even more keenly and narrowly focused. I started asking questions like, who do I want to work with or work for? What kind of people do I want to be around as clients or purchasers, even if they're not the end user? What kind of audiences do I want to be in front of? Um, and what kind of relationship do I want to have with the people I do business with? And I sat down and wrote all that out and really focused on what that looks like and who they are. Uh, maybe not as, not as names, but as types of people, types of organization, types of companies, types of challenges they're facing. And I'll have to say uh, it's true. The more, the more keenly 
narrowly focused you are in what you want and what you offer and what you contribute and and how you can make a difference, the greater the opportunities come. So uh, more I, more and more people like that, businesses like that, audiences like that started to come uh, into my uh, sphere of, of connectivity, my networks and referrals from networks and the people who saw me speak and set in audiences or that I coached started telling others about that. And it brought more of the same type of people and relationships I really, really wanted. So I would say going narrow and deep on not just who are you and what do you offer, but how do you want your speaking to show up? How do you want your coaching to show up? Where does it happen? What situations? Who are the people? That has made the biggest difference. And uh, and I really am grateful because it, this is what it does. It not only helps me know what to say yes to, and that every time I send an invoice or get a check and a payment, uh, for what I'm doing, I'm like, yes, this is what I really want. And I can see the value and so can the clients. But more importantly, I know the billion things I say no to that potential clients ask me for. But because of my networks, I know who does that really, really well. And that this is a potential client or relationship that they want more of in their world. And so it just continues to send the right work, relationships, people, engagements to the right people who need that. And so I find that uh, the more narrowly I'm focused, the greater the connectivity across the universe of my networks, it really is. That thing you first described, sitting down, trying to sense who you wanted to work with, all that, I'm gonna start calling that the Baskin Robbins test. <laughs> Cause it's really very similar to how you approach the job you wanted scooping ice cream. It um, is. What, yeah. you know, what kind of people you wanna work with, what audiences you want to speak in front of? What mm -hmm. kind of problems people are solving? You know, how do they feel about, you know, like, yeah, I mean, or, or even like the customer Baskin Robbins. All right. So there's 31 flavors. Do I really want to do sherbets or do I want to do ice yeah. cream with nuts or no, I want just a solid flavor. Like Baskin and then Robbins that's what right. you, then you go after the best of what you really, really want. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I love how you describe the way you sort of support your network and have also preserved the boundaries of your business, um, knowing what is a positive 100% yes, and therefore also what is the no, and then who you can then share that contact with somebody else that who might think this is the best thing ever. Um, I'm curious who set you on the path to initially do that work? Did you have a coach or a mentor who helped you sit down and stop just taking whatever came your way and started to really proactively narrow down to the kind of audiences and kind of clients you wanted? Yeah, so there were two. One is um, a great friend, networking expert, and sales coach, uh, Lynn Schussler-Williams, uh, who I hired as soon as I left my corporate job and said, I'm going to go out and ask all, these, all my networks for business to speak and coach. <clears throat> and what she taught me to do was to actually redirect my networks. They all think of me as leading HR and coaching and companies for more than 20 years. What am I going to do, right? And so she showed me how to do that. And I spent the entire summer going to the conferences, meeting with people, all my networks, and redirecting them to what I do now or what I did then. What I didn't know was that's a lifelong effort. It doesn't just happen in three months. Matter of fact, a very close friend that I actually sat down in her office and had lunch with and told her what I was doing different and actually in their business, they could refer some business to me because they did some coaching. 10 months after we had that conversation, 
posted on, uh, replied to a, a social media post and said, oh, I thought you were still at that corporate company leading internal coaching. I'm like, we've been through all this. So the notion of, and so now I do this continually. I'm continu continually telling people and my current networks who know me well, what I do and what I don't do, what I'm after and what I'm not after. The 2017 wake up call was from a CHRO who was a friend who called and said, I want you to come do strategic planning at my uh, uh, financial services company. And I said, hold on right there. Um, I know five people who do this really well. And I used to do that in the nineties, but I don't do that anymore. Uh, and here are their names. And then the person said to me, are you going to stop and listen to me and ask, and let me ask you what I'm going to ask him? Like, uh, sure. And what they told me was, I'm not actually here to have you do strategic planning. I've hired all those other people before. They're great. That's not what I want. You know how to connect people and coach them. I'd like you to meet with this team of executives in our company because they're not collaborating or talking to each other. And they're going to have to change the way they do business in the next year for a lot of reasons, including compliance and including the marketplace. Help them talk about the future. What is their plan for how that division is going to move forward? And then when they say, I'm not really sure, you're going to coach them individually so that they get closer together as a team. Listen to your networks, yeah. what they're asking for. Listen to your clients. And when I realized that's what they're asking for, and I want more of that instead of what I thought they were asking for, that's what led me to the redirect of my own practice. I love it. I mean, if you listen to what people are coming to you for and you decide whether or not it's what you want to do, is that how you want to be of service, then you can really thoughtfully shift. I have pivoted my business three times uh, since 2020, <laughs> it feels like. Uh, I mean, I and now I'm having to like remind people that I have over a decade of experience with in-person events, which used to just be called events. They're coming back. Qualify yeah. them. And I'm like, hey, by the way, I can do all that event design for that in-person event. And so I have one client who fortunately like went with me on that journey from virtual to in-person. And I'm like, oh, I have to continuously, like you said, rebrand, bring it back forward, remind people. Mm -hmm. And that's where a lot of, I think the social media piece is. So I'm curious about other ways you stay connected. So there's that inner circle of people you, you know you're gonna stay in touch with. And then there's those second and third tier or second and third layer out, the people you might see once a year at a conference or you work with them five years ago, but you haven't had a reason to since. And you like each other. I should always mention that. You enjoy each other's company. Right. Um, how do you think about nurturing and sustaining those kind of weaker connections, any habits, philosophies, practices? Well, um, you know, for better or worse, social media is our friend. And at least I can, for most of them, some of them are not on social media, any social media, but most of them are. I can connect on LinkedIn or Facebook or Instagram, wherever they hang out. And I can... Uh, let the algorithm tell me what they're up to and I can stay in touch that way at a minimum. I've found, and we, I'm sure you did a lot of this during the pandemic as well, the 15 or 20 minute Zoom catch up call. I just had one before uh, we sat down to do this conversation together. And that really makes a difference. Touching base virtually, even if you can't be in person. And then when we can be in person, I've started publishing which conferences I'm going to. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're going to be there and we haven't connected, how can we meet for dinner or meet for a drink or catch each other at the same session? Uh, at, uh, I was at a, the, the SHRM uh, Society for Human Resource Management annual conference in Vegas last month. There were 25,000 people there. And there was one person that I hadn't been able to connect with in 
connect with in person. We found a place to meet for 15 minutes before we both went in separate directions across that massive convention center. And that made all the difference. So those little sparks, those little touch points, those when it's possible, and it's not a stretch for either one of you to make it, but those those really can spark and re-spark your connectivity. And also it helps me redirect their network toward me. What are they doing now that they weren't doing six months or a year ago that I need to be refreshed about because they're a different person or their challenges are different. Do you have a CRM or a list of 50 people or any, an address book that you sort of particularly pay attention to? Not really. I probably pay more attention to people who are actively engaged in the circles that I'm in, executive coaching, coach supervision, authors, speakers, uh, HR pros. And that is like full enough for me and connects me with a lot of people two and three degrees separated from me. Uh, but one of the things I've, I've learned and I'm, I'm rethinking is uh, what networks am I not connected to indirectly that I need to be connected to or they might need me and so I'm trying to figure out a way to be more intentional and strategic about it. I don't sell to individuals. I'm a business-to-business -business kind of bespoke coaching or bespoke uh, keynote. And so I'm rethinking how do I intentionally connect with other people in networks that are not connected to mine. And it sounds like another way you stay very actively engaged is through volunteering and through leadership roles as volunteer. And so um, being engaged on not just like, I mean, it sounds like chapter level all the way through national level of many organizations, right. um, taking on board roles, like that gives you a lot of time with a group of people. Even af after you roll off the board, you're still going to have those relationships. That's right. Um, so that you're, you're going sort of intense for a period of time with a particular group, and then you might cycle that into a different group for a while. And yeah, so it sounds like that, that definitely helps you. It does. And, you know, when, when you, at least for me, when I connect with people and we're volunteering together, you do get to see the beliefs and values side of them because they're taking their free time with no pay to commit their time, talent, energy, and treasure to make a difference in something that not only inspires me, but those are the kind of people I want to get to know. And that's how I want to get to know them. What are they passionate about? Where are they trying to make a difference? Whether it's in their daily J-O-B job or in their volunteer leadership work, um, what makes them tick and how can we uh, connect together and make those things happen together? All right. I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. We're about to get to my favorite wrap-up question. Before we do, here's a quick word from our sponsor. All right. Let's just jump right into that next question here. Uh, it's a year from now. It's going to be, it is actually going to be pretty close to a year from now. I will see you in person at the next conference, our 10th uh, year going to this conference, the National Speaker Association event. And I will be asking you how your year has been. And I'm going to want to know now, what do you think we're going to be celebrating on your behalf a year from now? What are you most looking forward to in the year ahead? I think we'll be celebrating <clears throat> audiences and leaders and HR pros inside companies who have gone deep into their own journey of changing the way they interact in the workplace using science and neuroscience, and it's already paid off for them. It's not rocket science, it's just brain science, and they're getting results. 
I want to see results from the people that I'm connected with and make it easy for them. I think another thing will be that um, I've stayed and I and we as networks have stayed more connected um, because we have virtual and some in-person ways to make that happen or hybrid ways to make that happen. And compared to 2022, I mean, to 2020 and 2021, we weren't relegated to one or the other. So I think the modes and the, the modalities and the ways that we've been connecting, interacting has made our networks richer. I can't wait to celebrate all of that with you. And I 100% agree with your last point. I think what's different now from 2019, let's say, is that when I met someone in 2019 at a conference, we would maybe meet at a, at a dinner, but I might not see them again until the next year. And now I have a way to gather people virtually or they might invite me or we might have a coffee chat virtually throughout the year. So those relationships are happening. They're like deepening at a quicker pace and because we're, we're getting more FaceTime, even if it's not in-person FaceTime. So I love the idea of just sort of embracing these different modalities of connection. Speaking of connection, how can people find you and follow your work? Sure. They can connect with me on LinkedIn or they can uh, connect with me by email, jeff at nallygroup.com. Uh, those are the places where I hang out the most. I'm also on Facebook and Instagram, but that's mostly social stuff. But if you want to find out more, LinkedIn and email are the best ways to connect. Great. We're going to put all these links in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. My pleasure. Thanks, Robbie. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Jeff. What is your key takeaway? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 348. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources in today's show, as well as all the archived episodes. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with that one friend you know would love to hear it. Subscribe or follow for free so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review. Thank you in advance and look forward to connecting again next week when we'll be interviewing another talent professional who overcame challenges on their way to success. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership and entrepreneurial journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.